About 20 years ago, maybe more, a friend of mine invited me to attend a what so-called male spirit retreat in Woodstock, Illinois. Now, I'd been attending men's group meetings with this same man for several years, mostly of the discussion group variety, where we would read books and talk about men's issues. In fact, it was a program that was at this congregation, and this men's group is still going to this day, thanks to Gordon Olson. Initially, I was a bit put off. As many of you know, I tend to be a left-brained, rationalistic humanist. I view the world from what, for me, is a logical approach. As a humanist, I eschew the idea of a spiritual realm, a realm that can't be proved scientifically. At the same time, I was at a point in my life where I was looking for something more, something deeper. So I decided to go to the retreat. For two and a half days, we sat in sacred circle. We danced, we chanted, we talked. I even participated in my first sweat lodge in the middle of January in northern Illinois, if you get my drift. The retreat was a wonderful, life-altering experience. It was one of those times that is indelibly etched on my memory and my psyche. But interestingly, the most profound aspect of the weekend for me happened after it was over. I had driven to the retreat with my friend who was one of the co-facilitators. At the conclusion of the, the retreat, the three leaders had spent some time together debriefing, so I had to wait for my ride back. I went into the room where we had spent most of the retreat, and I was struck by a palpable sense of the energy that was in that room. It was something that, in the words of Doug Muter, fell in the gap between what I could experience and what I could describe. Perhaps it was the residue of the spirits of the men who had spent such intentional, intentional and meaningful time together. Now, this story may be a bit like fingernails on a chalkboard for some of us in the congregation today. Many of us have a real problem with the idea of spirituality. The humanists and rationalists among us might have feelings I described earlier in myself. In the Unitarian Universalist World article that I read from earlier, Doug, Doug Muter talks about a discussion group on spirituality. Now, there's an oxymoron if I ever heard one. At his church, in the beginning, one of the participants got out his trusty dictionary and tried to come up with an agreeable working definition of spirituality. And according to Muter, the conversation never recovered. I run into the same problem when I've tried to preach on spirituality. It has an I know it when I see it aspect that makes it hard to describe or put into words. The best way to understand or comprehend spirituality is to experience it whether it is found in meditation or prayer or music or exercise, wilderness canoeing, looking at the ocean or a sunrise or a sunset, there are those experiences in our lives that take us to the place between experience and description. The Sufi poet Kabir puts it this way, are you looking for me? I'm in the next seat. My so shoulder is against yours. 
You will not find me in stupas, not in Indian shrine rooms, nor in synagogues, nor in cathedrals, not in masses, nor kirtans, not in legs winding around your own neck, nor in eating nothing but vegetables. When you really look for me, you will see me instantly. You will find me in the tiniest house of time. Kabir says, student, tell me what is God? God is the breath inside the breath. As Muter points out, often spirituality is found in ordinary everyday life experiences. It may be in the thunderstorms, the sunrises, the sunsets, in the quiet times that we spend with our friends and our family. It is not the experience itself that is spiritual, but rather our encounter with the experience. It is our openness to finding meaning and enlightenment from the experience that makes it spiritual. It's our openness. At some point in our lives, many of us will endeavor to engage in intentional spiritual practice. I know. I've tried several times. And there is nothing wrong with doing so. Meditation and prayer, for example, can provide us with opportunities to empty our minds of the detritus of our busy modern lives and concentrate on a few essentials. By disciplining ourselves to spend a few minutes each day in such contemplation, we might find the God or spirit that is the breath inside the breath. But Muner reminds us that we also need to find the transcendent in the ordinary. Too often we fall in the trap that Mark Twain describes where the events of our ordinary lives have meaning only in their utility. If we look at a giant redwood tree and see only four feet of lumber, if we look at a vacant parcel of wetlands and see only the possibility of farming and development, if we see only people as only producers or consumers, then we diminish the life and the world in which we live. Seen in this light, our entire life should be a spiritual practice. But then if that's the case, why do we come together as religious communities? If our entire lives should be a spiritual practice, why set aside a particular time to come to a particular place with particular people to engage in a spiritual enterprise. Faith Formation 2000s is a study of the vitality of spiritual communities, and it identifies the growth of becoming more spiritual and less religious as one of the trends impacted participation in religious organizations. The report points out that those who identify them as spiritual but not religious while still a minority in the United States, represents a fast-growing group, particularly among those 18 to 39-year-olds, which was 18% today as opposed to 11% a decade ago. The report concludes that there's a growing group who are interested in spiritual matters, but are not interested in organized religion, and, will, and whose spiritual inclinations will not lead them to become members of churches, synagogues, mosques, or other religious organizations. Certainly we see this trend in the Unitarian Universalist ranks. Many Unitarian Universalists are extremely uncomfortable in describing themselves as a religious movement or describing themselves as religious. 
And this comes from different ends of the spectrum, both humanists and those who I'd like classify themselves as spiritual but not religious, decry the use of religion to describe Unitarian Universalism. Now, before I go on, let me explain what I mean by religion for purposes of this discussion. In the West in general, in the United States in particular, religion has been conflated with the monotheistic religions from the Abrahamic traditions, including Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. <coughs> when you read discussions of religion in America, the focus is primarily on these faiths. Even though Buddhism and Hinduism are rapidly growing in this country and in the West in general, Thus, whenever you see a discussion of religion, you can read between the lines that it, what is being referred to is faith evidencing a belief in a supreme being. Read that as the God of the Hebrew and Christian scriptures, and in many instances, the Quran. A humanistic, non-theistic religion is not on the radar screen in most of these discussions. So why is it that some react with such passion against the term religion. Well, the reasons are legion. For many, it is the process of a personal, hurtful experience, religion, at an earlier point in their lives. Some have come out of a fundamentalist childhood experience of religious beliefs that uses fear and shame to compel obedience. If the individuals are gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender, the very teachings of the faith tell them that they cannot be accepted for who they are, and in some cases are even told that God, in fact, hates them. At a minimum, LGBT persons cannot openly be themselves in many religious communities. These experiences have taught them that a religious community is a place where they are not accepted and where the value of their lives is not affirmed. Having had only this experience of religion, they do not realize that there is another one. Also, too often, religion tends to connote creeds and doctrine and dogma. The original simple story and ideas of the founders of the religion often become tied up in doctrinal nuances by succeeding generations of believers. The original ideas become enmeshed in the disputes over minor points of dogma. For many, the focus on these distinctions seems like a lot of hot air expended over meaninglessness and drives them away. For others, rejection of religion involves a broader indictment. Bestsellers by authors like Sam Harris, The End of Faith, Christopher Hitchens, God is Not Great, and The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins provide blanket denunciations of religion especially that of the Western, theistic, Abrahamic variety. For those writers, religion has little, if any, good to offer. And they may have a point. If we look to history, we can see many re reasons to reject any notion of religion. Countless wars over the course of human history have had an explicitly religious basis, particularly with the advent of Christianity and Islam and the first millennium of the Common Era, and the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago with the ensuing conflicts between Protestants and Catholics, wars with religious undertones have been a constant feature of the historical landscape. In the 20th and 21st centuries, there have been wars, civil wars, 
and interminable violent conflicts grounded in religious difference. Much violence has been done in the name of the Prince of Peace and the Prophet, peace be upon him. Religious belief has been problematic on other fronts as well. Over the centuries, there has been the well-documented conflict between religion and science. Christian Church tried to silence Galileo when he demonstrated that the Earth is not the center of the universe, but only a small part of a great galactic cosmos. Since publication of The Origin of Species, the work of Charles Darwin has been the center of disputes involving biblical accounts of creation and what should be taught our school children about where we come from. Often religiously, there are ongoing political disagreements, often religiously motivated over the propriety of embryonic stem cell research. There are political disputes in the emotionally charged theological issue of when life begins. Questions of the rights and roles of women in society have religious underpinnings. Many churches are the last bastions of patriarchy and denial of equal rights to women. Religious doctrine and scriptural interpretations have been used to deny equal rights for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered persons and to justify their persecution and in some cases murder. We have the spectacle of some fundamentalist groups in the United States supporting attempts in Uganda to make homosexuality a capital crime. Also, as Christopher Hitchin pointed out, one of the problems with some religion is that it's not content to impose its doctrine on its own adherents. Rather, it feels obligated to impose those views on others whether they like it or not. The so-called Great Commission commanding Christians to therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey what I have commanded you, has been taken as a license to impose Christianity on all, whether they wanted it or not. Similar injunctions in the Quran have met with similar results. The result, the, this has resulted not only in forced conversion of non-believers, but also in attempts to impose religious law, whether it be the Ten Commandments or Sharia, on secular society. Thus, religion, at least some of its manifestations, certainly has much to answer for. Spirituality, on the other hand, seems to impact only the individual practitioner and does not seem to directly adverse the wider world. And in fact, there are those who argue that spirituality can have a positive impact on the world by making the spiritual person more aware of his or her need to become compassionate to all the creation. Mutter suggests that the value of the spirituality is that when we stare into the gap between experience and description, something will crystallize for us and become describable for the first time. This allows us to discover new ideas which we can use in our mission to the world. In Spirituality for the Skeptic, Robert Solomon argues that spirituality is ultimately social and global, a sense of ourselves identified with others in the world. It transforms us and makes us more able to have an impact on who we are and what we do in this world. Buddhist teacher and practitioner Thich Nhat Hanh promotes the spiritual practice of mindfulness that focuses in part 
on what he calls interbeing. This understanding of interconnectedness, similar to our seventh principle, allows one to translate spiritual practice, mindfulness meditation, into a practical way to serve the world. So if indeed religion has all this baggage and being spiritual appears to be a better way to engage the world, why do I say that I'm religious, not spiritual? Well, obviously one way was to come up with a catchy sermon title. That's always useful for the newsletter and last week's order of service. But it's more than that. In my mind, the problem with being only spiritual is that there is a tendency to focus on the inner life and not to engage the wider world. Even though there can be a sense of community among spiritual practitioners, this doesn't always translate into broader actions. As I'm sure many of you have heard before, the Latin root of the word religion or religious is religio, or to bind together. Religion is at its best the creation of a community aimed towards a common goal. The religious community finds a provides a place for persons with some common set of values to come together to support one another and to work together to serve the broader community. The distinction that's often made between secular and religious humanism, for example, is that secular humanism tends to be more individualistic, while religious humanists come together in some sort of community. Also, religious humanists are more open to some sets of ritual and spirituality though some religious humanists might put it off by the use of spiritual, even the humanistic sense. Whether these communities come together in the name of God or Jesus or Muhammad, the Buddha or Krishna, or the name of humanistic or natural spiritual values, at their best, they call on people to live up to their better values, to be their better selves. A religious community has other characteristics and values as well. Religious communities provide a place to engage in spiritual practice and rituals that allow us to connect with what is greater than ourselves, however we choose to imagine or name that. It is also a supportive community where there, where there, there is to rejoice with us in times that are good and to console us in times of sorrow. It is there to mark the passages of our lives, the dedication of children, the sacred union for those committing themselves to a lifetime intimate partnership, transitions from youth to adulthood, remembering the life well lived for those who have died. The religious community also provides a home base for going out into the world to promote values of justice and compassion. While as religious liberals, we don't particular, promote any particular creed, and in fact may not share a common theology, we do, I believe, share a sense of the need to make this a more just and equitable community and world. And it is shared, the shared sense of values that gives us strength to continue in the face of adversity. I'm sure many of you have had this experience with me. I left organized religion in my 20s because I was no longer able to accept the beliefs of my childhood. I was away for almost 20 years. What brought me back was not just that I found Unitarian Universalism, a faith that satisfied me intellectually, or whose beliefs I shared. These were important, but what I had really missed in those 20 years was the special sort of community that is found in religious community. I'm sure that if my personal beliefs had tended to a more conventional or conservative direction, I still would have been looking for the same thing, 
simply in a different venue. So am I spiritual or religious? What do you think? This may seem like a cop-out, but at this point, I have to say both and. As I get older and reflect more on my life, I'm probably becoming more spiritual. I am more open to the mystery of life and the notion that we are part of something greater. I would not define this as God in the traditional sense, but simply a sense of moreness, moreness, whatever that would turn out to be. At the same time, I have become more convinced that the need for involved, engaged religious communities is to challenge the current culture of self-gratification. I got mine, you go find for yourself, that has gained greater currency in our public discourse. As I become older, I think more about what kind of a world I'll leave to my grandchildren and their grandchildren. And I see a religious community as one way to promote these values, which are important to me and which I may see as the one way that this world could be saved. So I'd like to suggest a new Unitarian Universalist Great Commission. Go into the world and spread a message of love and justice for all who dwell. So may it be.